there's this theme song and it's probably so old nobody knows it but it was from a really really old rendition of Cinderella when I was a kid and one of the songs it goes a plain yellow pumpkin can become a golden carriage it's possible and all throughout my life that has sort of been singing in my mind Welcome to this week's Wonderings. I am Amy Schaefer. I'm the creative director of The Wonderment, and I'm here with... Matt Thomas, education director for The Wonderment. We're here because over the last 10 years, our work has allowed us to observe communities all over the world. And in these experiences, we've encountered these people of all ages who are meeting the world just a little differently. They're open, they're willing to see things and do things in unexpected ways. And we've seen how their presence has made different, almost magical things possible. Their influence reconfigures the realities within their communities, and it starts to meet needs and weave new patterns, both in small and profound ways. And the thing is that even though these are ordinary people just taking small-scale action in their own communities, it's this kind of small-scale creative engagement by curious individuals all over the place that is actually going to solve large-scale problems in a human way. So for us, connecting youthful curiosity and energy and a community of shared wondering that can support it to grow is pretty interesting. So we come here each week to talk to one of these wanderers, find out what we can learn together, and see what we can explore and do to become more curious community builders in our own worlds. So with that, we are excited to introduce you to another wanderer, our friend Kathy Babcook. Kathy is a new friend for me. You've known her forever. Yeah. And you really didn't tell me that much about her yeah. when we first started this. So what does some... And and she didn't really want to tell us some of the specific details about her life in her own interview. So what can you share about Kathy to tell us who this person is? Well, I think that says a, a lot about the core of who Kathy is, which is she may have all of these different accolades. She's a doctor. She's had you know, a career in where she's been a leader, where she has created new programs, where she has changed medical practice and in radiology and done a lot of different things that anyone would look at from like an outside uh, perspective and go, oh, that's, that's how I know who you are. That's, you know, these are the things that you would introduce about yourself if you were asked what you do. And that's not how she defines herself. And I think one of the most interesting things about Kathy and that we're going to be exploring in this episode is actually how do you know how to define yourself and how do you know how to define your relationship with possibility and how do you understand what you're looking at really when you look at someone else and how do you understand what you look you're looking at when you look at your own self and I think that that is you know one of the reasons all of these people that we're talking to in these in this you know wonderings uh pursuit they're all bringing this little bit different perspective and this little bit interesting vantage point that to them is just second nature. It's just how they meet the world. And we're kind of pointing at it and going, there's something interesting there and it's something we all can learn from. So Kathy is a a brilliant mind and heart and her curiosity throughout her life for how freedom and how possibility can be, uh, engaged with in a direct and practical way on the day-to-day level is a defining feature of who she is. And I think you can hear that from uh, her, her, her opening quote, the, the pumpkin in the carriage, which will, be a, which will be a theme throughout this episode. 
she stumbled on that as kind of a, a way to describe a formative memory that she had as a child and something that shaped her in a pretty distinct way. And it's those little micro moments sometimes like, but the feeling, the intense feeling that comes along with a moment like that, that sometimes, you know, years later, we realize we're still carrying with us for, for, for good or ill, we're still carrying some of these very charged emotional experiences with us. Yeah, it's, it, it's fascinating to me. I, I'm in my 40s now and I have two kids who are 10 and 12 and they're laying down those foundational memories that are going to set, in some way, set their course and they don't even realize it. And I only realize it because I'm just barely remembering the kinds of things that Kathy tells us about here. And we're talking to other people about those memories and I'm realizing I have a few of those too. And that you don't even realize what they are when they're happening. Totally. Um, and they have such a profound effect. So that's a little bit of the the energy we're, we're actually trying to capture or recapture with these conversations. So when she brought up this clip from this old production of Cinderella, I really was struck by how much emotion I felt in her and we felt in her, felt in her as she described um, her experience in listening to that. I remember having that sort of, oh my God, possibility energy flowing through me when I saw the beautiful actress who was playing Cinderella singing this song and I felt it, it was like a knowing. Yeah, a plain yellow pumpkin can become a golden carriage. It's possible. Miracles are happening every day. And that was the, the, the song. And I think I, I kind of live that way. You know, something shows up. It's like, who would ever think a pumpkin could become a golden carriage? But as soon as it's said, and as soon as you, you see an example of it, or somebody says it's possible, boom, then it's there. It's, it was there in my mind. I love how she gave us a very clear and succinct uh, understanding of the connection between emotion and then thought and the way that she felt this intense emotion and then realized this connection, even as a kid, that that could be a lens that she could look at the world through and that it felt good to her. And that the fact that she could say, boom, it's there in your mind. And then, you know, as she said earlier, it was singing through her mind her whole life. There's something really powerful in this idea of possibility being recognized and then that being able to be matched with examples of that possibility, you know, manifesting in the world around you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, those moments that happen at, at that early age when you first realize I have a perspective, like I am, uh, there's a focal point here in me. And not only can I observe things, but then I can sort of start to become an agent too. And um, I used to be a language arts teacher for many years and if you'll indulge a little bit of nerdery here there's a few things that this really brought up for me the just the beginning of this story for one thing I don't think it's any accident that this comes by means of a fairy tale I mean these fairy tales have so much um, folk wisdom built into them about youth specifically about growing up I mean that's the story of Cinderella is literally thematically what she talks about in our entire discussion here And you can tell what impact it has because even though, I mean, the original fairy tales are full of, of morbid and and dark themes that, that, that are also fantastical, but are immediately recognizable, especially to a young child who isn't thinking in terms of separation from the story. They're, they're deeply embedded in it. 
And um, they're all stories about growing up, about meeting the beasts, about finding the mentor, and about realizing I am a perspective. I can see things. I can see things differently, and then I can I can start to act. Of course, and this becomes a theme later, there's always a point where they're going into the woods of chaos and confusion and still having to figure out how to act at that point. So I think the fact that a fairy tale was kind of created this moment of awakening, I think is no accident. And, um, and I love that. But I think the other nerdy element that this brought up for me, I think it really demonstrates the awakening of a sort of a metaphorical thinking where one thing can be seen as another thing. And for a kid, everything is the same. You know, when you see a very young child, I think, playing an imaginary game in a sandbox, they're making the truck go around or whatever. They're not thinking, I'm playing with a toy truck. They're in it. They're just doing it. And now at this moment, and that seems great. Some people think that's creativity. That is where everything comes from. And I I don't think so at all. I think that's one element. It's a baseline thing. But then here in this moment, there were two things. There was pumpkin and there was carriage. And suddenly, but, but we weren't saying there's two things. We're saying something combines these. There's a mysterious possibility that combines those. And that kind of metaphorical thinking, it's where poets come from. It's the heart of creativity. Language itself is all metaphorical. So I, I bring up that term because I think it really comes home later in a way that is fascinating to me. Well, I think it's in, in the same way, this idea of living, understanding a metaphorical quality to one's perspective is one thing that I love. And this is maybe dialing into something very you know, nitty gritty, but this idea that it's can be a a pumpkin can be a carriage, not can become a carriage, which this is an interesting distinction that I think also plays out between whether we perceive things linearly or relationally. So this idea that, you know, yeah, you could take like, we could we could run out this line and one person could perceive it as like, well, yeah, I guess you could turn that into a device that could <laughs> that could move things like you could right. hollow out this pumpkin and you yeah, could if you did put all wheels of, on it. All <laughs> like, of this technological te- technological work and everything, you could transform it into that. Yes, that's not that's metaphorical not, thinking. It's not what's being said here. Right. And I think that's the quality of that. The um, the ability for something that can feel very almost um, ineffable in a way and yet is so powerful and specific. And I think that that, um, that's something that I, yeah, I'm still, even after having this conversation, I've been thinking about this in much the same way you have where we're, we're engaging with something here that is a little bit different than you might immediately think that it is a literal or linear interpretation of it maybe misses the significance, because I think what it's actually pointing us to is a worldview that is more compatible with a um, an under, a relational understanding of the world and ourselves and others. To us, it also represents a pattern. So we're 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 trying to cultivate in ourselves and others that ability to see both states arising at the same time, right? Totally. So the, I think that the one of the it's interesting too. As much as we just uh, it's stepped into this space of this very mythical and and metaphorical understanding it circled back to a very practical place for Kathy so as as we kind of went on in the conversation and she was describing a little bit more where she started to see this this possibility emerge and exist she talked about um, an encounter that she had with a professor in her undergrad 
um, experience. And at the time, she was talking about how, again, she's a freedom-seeking being. So she really hadn't set sights specifically for one, you know, specific thing that she thought that that needed to represent. She was just feeling her way through. And in that setting, it had not occurred to her um, to be to be specifically concerned about her performance, maybe <laughs> academically in the classroom. And she encountered this professor who came to her with a question one day and asked her who she thought had the highest marks in the class. And then Kathy responded, you know, she and she said she threw out the names of a couple a couple of guys. And this was, you know, this was a while ago. And so there it was definitely illustrating the fact that there was a very clear vision of who would be the most likely individuals to be excelling and leading the class and then the professor gave her a response back that surprised her that it was it was actually a fellow uh woman student who honestly kathy could see a lot of herself in i think on some level this professor recognized that i was underperforming so there i was you know walking around in my pumpkin form and somebody pointed out to me that there's somebody who looks very much like a pumpkin too, but they have this golden carriage dimension to them. Another girl in my class who I knew, who, you know, looked like me, acted like me, was doing something I wasn't doing. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay. If she can do that, I can do that. I think this this encounter and the way that she described it, like I said, I think that, uh, and she even noticed and, and observed that had the professor come to her and tried to convince her that she should be paying more attention in this way or doing something specifically different in this way, that would be hitting a totally different place for her than asking her a question did. And then to point out that there was there was this connection of it wasn't you should be more like that. It was someone like you is also doing this. Someone like you also has this capacity and allowing for her to make her own connection that that capacity was present within herself as well. And it made me think about, obviously, this idea of example and why representation is so significant, that there's almost this like mundane quantum effect of seeing people who you can relate to and you see yourself in and yet you also see something different in them at the same time. There's something really powerful there that I think also gets to that metaphorical state that we're of thinking that we've kind of been referencing. Yeah, we're in the realm of the fairy tale where the fairy godmother shows up. But but the fairy godmother shows up in the form of this just random professor. He wasn't doing any particular thing. He was he wasn't like uh, what's that movie? I should know because I was the English teacher. He wasn't dead poet societying anybody. He, they were just having a simple conversation, as Kathy says. And she described in this conversation that she wasn't a motivated student. She didn't. She never thought that much about what she was doing at that point either, even enough to particularly succeed and, and, and stick out in any way. But they stumbled into this situation where the mentor shows up and does that critical thing of just pointing you know, is that what is that? And asking the question, is that a pumpkin? Is that a carriage? Are you a pumpkin? You're a carriage. Just showing that the, that, that exists. And so, yeah, it, it fits the fairy tale thing, but it's not quite the fairy godmother. And I guess the only thing I wanted to point out about this, like we hear this, we're looking for patterns. 
they were not trying to do this on purpose and they did it because they were sensitive, intelligent people looking out for each other. But what is the difference? What difference can we make if we're watching for that? And so, you know, all of us need mentors and I think anybody we work with at almost any age can function stepping into this slight mentorship role. No, I don't have to do a magic trick. It's just about it's noticing, it's pointing and it's asking. Well, and I think the the idea of mentor as witness, the power of mentor as witness and as observer and as um, in, inviter is a very powerful shift in thinking. And I think we've obviously seen some of these conversations start to take place in education where, you know, what's the role of a teacher and what is a teacher responsible for? And is it to deliver all of these things and to ensure that the, you know, that that has been successfully maintained or, or received or, you know, I mean, there's big conversations right now, even about like learning loss and what the, <laughs> you know, what that even means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's a real question to be asked of the, the responsibility or the impact, the potential impact of a mentor when you look at it more from that angle of really you're just observing and noticing and inviting things to emerge or be seen in different ways so that the person themselves can actually recognize and act upon something in a new way for themselves from their perspective point that you mentioned, like how significant it is that we have that sense of perspective intact within ourselves. Well, and the perspective of that growing up person can only emerge in contrast with someone else witnessing. There have to be two. Well, and I love that this actually kind of goes into the next thing that Kathy um, brought up, which was, you know, as she went through medical school, as she kind of continued to develop in her career and in her life, Um, She was doing these things in her kind of own, not by the book way. So she would see that people were, you know, really stressing about how to structure a very specific and guaranteed plan for them to move through these milestones to get to their desired goal. And she was noticing that she was doing this really differently. But she also had to exist in a system where these, you know, academia and the silos and the different things that start to really become very important to people to you know, be very secure within, um, it was difficult for her to relate to a lot of that. And so she started to see something come back out in herself that she'd noticed since she was young, which was this, this uh, impulse to seek freedom and to mix worlds and to step into different worlds and engage with different people from a different perspective. Um, it, it, that's kind of started to come back as she started to be perceived as more of an expert and a mentor herself people respond to key features, um, you know, about you and people want to be able to categorize. I think it makes people feel comfortable. And even though I would be supposedly, you know, a, a highly educated person who works in this profession and all of that kind of thing, I always loved like hanging out with people who were in completely different vocations or completely different um, educational backgrounds or because there was so much else that I needed that could not be um, served or fed by the confines of just one dimension. I think this is really interesting in when we feel like we should know something or we feel like we should be something and it's very specific and it is very we exist in binary systems and as in in human 
civilization so often. And that's one of the things that I think we uh, find in our own work um, has a great potential for being creating stagnancy of a lot of resources, both, you know, emotional, uh, physical, a lot of different things get trapped in these binary systems that we force them to exist within. And I think it's interesting that she points out this is you know, much of our relationship with possibility is shaped by how willing we are to allow that this observer, this witness to, to have the metaphorical ability of seeing things as being a lot of different things. And that that is not, that's a, that's a feature, not a bug <laughs> mm. to have something that is able to be in flux and to be able to grow and change um, and to be all of that doesn't have to leave one of those things behind. It doesn't mean it is one thing or the other. It's it's those things coming together. It's the relationship between those things in a person or in a pursuit or in a community that actually um, drives us. Yeah, again, it's not It's not this thing could be that thing. You could be a doctor. You could be an artist, whatever. It's this is that. And um, how, how can you see this as that in different, in different ways at different times, you know? And how can you inhabit that perspective? And I'm going to one-up my language arts teacher in nerdery right now you know that i'm a fan of zen buddhism (laughs) (laughs) and there's a phrase that comes up from one of our famous koans over and over and over which is typical to zen practice it's a very short and opaque statement it means nothing to nobody (laughs) (laughs) but it really is it, it kept on coming up in my mind during this talk with kathy and the phrase is just this not one not two and it's just a little mantra that comes through my head when i'm in this kind of thinking, when I'm trying to decide my perspective, not one, not two. So in this story, obviously, there are two things. There's a pumpkin and a carriage. But the, like, the magical lady comes in there and says, actually, there is just one thing. It's a pumpkin carriage. And so from a certain way of seeing, it is one, but from another way, it's two. And that's metaphorical thinking. But what interests me most about this whole thing when things are not one and not two, and when you hold yourself in that open view of both things, that it is a profound kind of not knowing. And it's uncomfortable to people to be in that kind of space sometimes. Sometimes because of the demands they put on themselves, but I think more frequently because they're being asked to show up with a pumpkin or show up in the carriage. That's exactly, I think that that is, it goes back to the systems of, when we think we're supposed to be able to show up knowing and then show up always doing and always knowing what to do. <laughs> this is this the is, worst standard. You're freaking me out. Show up knowing and show up doing, doing and uh, always know what to do. That is the, it's the incredible pressure that everyone, and I think that it's the pressure that creates intense anxiety in young people is that the space for not knowing and the space for not doing is also like equally, I mean, the, the potential in that is so huge and it's where things can emerge and spring forward from a different motivational point than trying to uh trying to create those things from with from outside of yourself and have them you know allow for the in the inner world to exist it's actually allowing those things to arise from your inner world and move out into the outer world in a way that is actually relationally sound yeah and that i mean that you can tell I can feel I could feel in the conversation feel now that that this is a key insight that leads to a practice and a pattern that we point to because when there's not when you're in the view of not one not two you you can just feel opening this space of possibility and a space where 
truly unique and 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 more wise and compassionate action is actually possible things that you hadn't seen as possible before. well and the insights and the awarenesses that would give rise to that and because those are so crucially uh interconnected and she actually also alludes to this uh in our conversation um a big thing for me that i've learned throughout my life is if it's not clear uh what to do do nothing just trusting that um whatever shows up like listening to that seeing what that is feeling that what that person idea space has to offer and bring i think that we highly undervalue that because you know we think that that means you're procrastinating or you're indecisive or all of these things that have been you know generally provide given negative connotations it's interesting that i mean i think she points right at the heart of that thing uh, right at the heart of that anxiety of us trying to figure out as humans how we define ourselves, how we define others, and what things we say about ourselves and how we're able to show up what we know, what we know to do. And out of that, we can create these, you know, perpetuate these systems that never give us the moment to to have those things actually emerge in a novel way and allow for that. And I think that that is that willingness to just pause and listen to what idea or what person or what place you're actually looking at. That is so powerful because that is often the moment where the metaphor lives, <laughs> where the, the magic lives. And we've seen this is something that is a, a cross-person pattern that we've seen is that ability to just give a beat and then see what's happening or then and listen is so crucial to being able to see new possibilities. That that sounds really highfalutin, but just to come back to the which which I don't mean as an insult. Whatever. But to come back <laughs> to the fairy tale, Cinderella did not think a fairy godmother was gonna appear. <laughs> she wasn't seeking that. She didn't she had no idea. She was connected to to her mother. She was connected to the world around her. And and think and then she was receptive. And so, you know, as cheesy as this is, and I, I'm not, I'm not promoting the Disney version of this at all, but you know, maybe in the Disney element, you think if I do the right thing, then something will come and fix everything. That's maybe the degraded version of this. But the truth about it is that if you put yourself in that creative space of not one, not two, the thing will arise. And I think that that is actually um, where you realize that the thing is arising from within you. <laughs> And this ability to to see transformative possibility in the mundane things around you is truly actually something that humans are capable of and that we're capable of when we're looking at one another and we're capable of when we are looking at the world around us. And that actually is the thing that I think coming kind of to present moment and present day and what Kathy's pursuing at this time has really shaped, she's showing up looking and understanding both other people and the physical the, the planet that we share from this place of witnessing and seeing and having ref- reverence for the possibility that surrounds us all of the time then the more connected 
I began to feel to the earth, to the land, um, to the all-knowing wisdom, which does not, um, in my awareness, come from human creation. Um, it, it is all around and it abounds. And the more I can tap into that and align with that, the more clarity I get about how I want to live now. So it's kind of like tapping into um, ancient earth, wild one wisdom um, and modeling my life now uh, to show reverence for that, to reflect that in my day-to-day -day life, to um, offer whatever I have to offer to um, help support that. I think that that we talk a lot about the idea of an e ecosystems of thinking and thinking ecologically. Um, and I think that that is the thing that is so interesting is that so often it is tied to how the human and the non-human life that surrounds us uh, interconnect and find um, find relationship with each other. And I think that that it's an endlessly it's endless evolution. It really as much as like you were talking about the fairy tales document a component of that endless evolution of life that humanity has has documented in that way in stories and shared with one one another but this is the story that also connects us to everything around us and and you know whatever elements are calling to us have a reason for doing so yeah that's what i really like about this about what fairy tales kind of set you on the path they've i should say fairy tales and those kinds of stories have set me on a path of constant discovery because once you have that perspective of not one, not two, or this is that, then what is me and what is the earth? What is me and what is someone else? What is me and my school or my community? And you can realize that this is that. And this is also not that. You can see it both ways. And there's a, a space of creative potential in the midst of that. I mean, one of the reasons why we're doing this project is because there's a lot of pressure in there to land somewhere and to seal off that re receptivity and to and to just be one thing. Obviously, Kathy, she she did land in so many ways to so many people as one thing. She had extraordinary expertise and skill that she brought to bear in ways that really helped people in one phase of a career. And yet, she always approached it in this way. She wasn't attached and identified with that position. And now she's moved through it and is still in this way of seeking, this way of being in this potential and this possibility. I have kind of made a point of operating as a person in this world who looks for that in others. And um, just because I know the value that it felt to me to have those things recognized. And I think essentially it's kind of like having a part of you be seen um, by another that it, it's, it's like it's been this seed, but suddenly now it can bloom. And that the feeling of that experience is so magnificent. And it was for me. And so I think I, if I can um, offer that, nurture that in others, that 
that's pretty cool. That's, that's kind of one of the best things about life. I think that brings us full circle back to this childlike enthusiasm and that it feels good. Like when she was listening to that song and she felt that, you know, that, that, that feeling. And again, I think those feelings, that feeling of possibility is so, it's the fuel and fire of, of anything that's created, of the desire to create, the desire to express, it comes from that feeling. And so when we lose that feeling in a, in a pursuit to define it in these specific ways, and we lose that ability to recognize it's all within all of it, and the, the not one, not two thing, as you would say, it is the seed and the bloom are, are one and the same. I think that that is, that is when the reason maybe that it is related to childhood is just because that's when it was, it was allowed to exist in that kind of a way. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't denied or it wasn't, uh, kind of set aside as something that wasn't valuable. Well, and then the benefit of being now a wise older person is that she has lived that way and gone through cycles of this because you, you, you might enter into that space of vast possibility and be receptive, but then you do land from time to time on specific actions. At some point it does turn, something does turn into the carriage. And I mean, not again, not to give any credit to Disney that's not due, but it's kind of cool in the cartoon that that is a, that's an awesome carriage. I mean, it looks amazing. Anybody would want that. It's clearly the best thing that arrives at the ball, you know, and I, you don't do it for that reason, but working in this way, you, that that's what's possible. And um, the people that we admire that we are having these conversations with all over the world, they have been through cycles of this. And so talking to people like this, it helps me so much just to be like, to, to trust that space. And so she is in a form pointing to, the this and the that at the same time, not knowing and then getting that awesome carriage is all, you know, the, the seed is the bloom, as you're saying. And in that space, she connects others who are doing work um, themselves as well to a different vantage point of what it is they're doing. I've seen her do this again as someone who is a friend. I've seen her do this, you know, just as naturally as you possibly can to say, I see I see something and I see something and these have a connection and she, and the way that she connects her her passions in conservation to her passions and her ability to see, you know, individual people and to bring those things together. It has an ability to move things forward that is really pretty unique. That energy, that childlike wonder and, you know, that thing that is you feel it in your gut and it rises up within you and you know it's just like so much joy and excitement and that sense of possibility we've just come back around to what kids already know and then get trained out of them and then you know hopefully find their way back to um, at some point but really it seems like if you just didn't train that out of kids the possibilities are endless. So we want you to share your experiences and insights. This is why we invite you to do the path that is connected with this is for you to have the opportunity to step into the feeling or the insight that each of these wonders is kind of bringing to our attention. This is someone who is walking this way 
probably a step or two ahead of us and able to beckon us along the way and we can walk in their path of inquiry for a few steps. So when have you seen possibility in something that you thought was normal or mundane? When have you seen those two states arise together, the pumpkin and the carriage? How does that shape you? How has that affected you? We'd love to have you share your response on the path. So we'd like to thank Kathy for sharing her, her perspective as a wanderer with us this week and looking forward to the next time. <laughs>